0: wonder what the hype about stoicism is about and could benefit you as a leader to help you stay cool, calm, collected, be compassionate with people and make good, level-headed, strategic decisions, then this is for you. Here's the question. How do you successfully transition into your first official leadership role? Build the confidence and competence to lead your team effectively And establish yourself as a respected and trusted leader across the organization. That's the question, and this show provides the answers. Welcome to the Manager Track Podcast. I'm your host, Ramona Shaw, and I'm on a mission to create workplaces where work is not seen as a source of stress, but as a source of contribution, connection, and fulfillment. And this transition starts with developing a new generation of leaders. I'm a leadership coach, a mom of three, a coffee lover, and a travel enthusiast stick around because in this show you'll learn how to think, communicate, and act to become a confident, high-performing leader people love to work with. Let's go. Welcome to episode number 85, closer to the 100 mark, which I'm very excited about. But this week, I am thrilled to welcome Michael McGill to this podcast. Mike and I connected a few months back when I noticed his profile on social media and the content that he put out there in regards to Stoic leadership. I'm currently working on a book about Stoic leaders and specifically featuring leaders who practice and benefit from the Stoic philosophy in their workplace context. So that intersection between leadership and the Stoic philosophy is currently something I'm focused on. And Mike and I had a great initial conversation and a lot of what we've talked about will feed into this book. But as we were chatting, we thought it would be a great idea for him to come onto this podcast as well and share some of his experiences of climbing the ranks of leadership. He's now a CIO, a Chief Information Officer at a medical service company in Ohio. He leads a large team and his responsibilities include to develop and run the company's technology, the technology vision, the strategy, as well as the actual operations. If you're only a tad bit curious of what stoicism is, why so many people have a completely wrong picture of what stoicism is and why it actually fits really well into the topics of mindfulness, compassion leadership, psychological safety, vulnerability, emotional intelligence, and so forth. So without further ado, let's get it started and welcome Michael to the show. Mike, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I'm I'm excited to have you on and bring you to my audience.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Romano. Really excited to talk with you today.
0: So I'd love to speak with you directly about your leadership experience and weave in a little bit of seasoning, maybe some salt and pepper, in regards to stoicism. And also I like how you often talk about stoicism and mindfulness. And I think sometimes that combination helps people see that it is actually a very compassionate approach. And stoicism doesn't mean being stoic in a in the in the sense that we often refer to the stiff upper lip. Right. Um, so excited to bring you on and have this conversation. Before we dive in, could you tell us a little bit more about your current leadership responsibilities and your journey of getting to where you are today?
1: Yeah, yeah, Ramona, I would love to. So again, my name is Mike McGill. I'm CIO for a company called Medical Service Company in in Cleveland, Ohio. We're a healthcare organization. My title is CIO or Chief Information Officer. So my current job responsibilities are leading our technology efforts, our strategic uh, initiatives for uh, information technology, how we use technology as a healthcare organization to set ourselves apart, to take better care of our patients, to be an innovative technology organization. So I lead All of our technology team, the infrastructure team, data analytics, our application development team. So I have an incredible team of uh, very talented individuals that we all work together to try and make sure that medical service company is an innovative and and we provide great customer experience.
0: That sounds like quite a busy job.
1: (laughs) It is busy, but it's fun. My whole career has been in technology. You had asked kind of about the leadership journey of how I've gotten to this position where I get to do all this really fun and exciting stuff every day and and, and lead the technology for the organization I work at. So my leadership journey, especially being in IT, is very technical. I went to college, got my computer science degree. I, I come in and I start working in the IT as an IT professional. Very technical skills. I mean, writing applications, managing infrastructure, very technical, obviously IT, information technology, very technology-based. But my leadership journey was probably like a lot of other leaders where you perform your technical skills well and you get noticed. People are like, oh, wow, Mike does a good job at this. And I think for a lot of people, maybe in IT and I'm sure a lot of other industries, it's that kind of technical expertise. You kind of, again, the the light kind of gets shined on you a little bit like, oh, here's somebody who does this really well. Let's make them a supervisor and they can lead the other people or supervise the other people who do that similar function. And then you continue to try to to do well in in different paces and in different cases. For me, became a manager of a technology team. And that growth, which I'm sure we'll dive into and and kind of the the treacherous waters that you can get into in, in that leadership journey, where you kind of are this technical person. And then all of a sudden you're thrown in and say, okay, manage this team, lead this team. And a huge difference between the word manage and the word lead. So there's definitely some lessons learned and some, like I said, some turbulent waters you go through and learn the hard way. And then maybe what you are learning about that shift of technical skill to soft skills and leadership skills. And then that maybe kind of starts riding the ship a little bit. And then you start making that transition into a leader once you realize your perspective changes on what it is you should be focusing on and bring in other people to do the technical stuff and you try to be a, a good leader for them and help them succeed.
0: Yeah, and this is something I talk a lot because I think intellectually many people understand that and many people are prepared uh, on day one intellectually, but then it's a very different thing to actually execute on that and to let go of control and to empower people and to go through these mindset shifts. That's something that takes some time. If you look back at that initial transition that you said at some point, you sort of form your own leadership approach and you really started to become that leader. What do you wish you had known on day one? Yeah, Uh, looking back.
1: It's maybe it's hard to pick one thing. I think a very pivotal moment for me or concept for me was it comes through a quote from Jim Rohn, you'll work harder on yourself than you do on your job. So I think that maybe those rough waters were when I became, when I was started getting put into positions of supervision and and management and whatnot, maybe the focus was still technical. Like I need to learn more of the, the technical aspect of what I'm doing. For me in technology, it's still too much of my hands and my mind inside of what's going on with technology here instead of realizing that now was the time for me to start working more on myself as an individual and learning other skills. I I could probably throw five or six different ones out there, Ramon. I mean, I think one that that comes to mind first earlier on is, is that emotional intelligence kind of managing emotion in myself a little bit better, which I know we'll touch on some things that some different things that help with that at some point in our discussion today. But just managing emotion in myself and then having empathy towards other. I think early on, you're very task-driven. Like, okay, I'm the boss now. I need to make sure that these boxes get checked. Like these things need to get done. And you're more driven by just making sure the stuff gets done versus leading and motivating your team to get those things done. And you know, again, I think there's a a degree of that soft skill emotional t- intelligence of working with other people and being empathetic and working with them to help motivate them to get things done versus just like, right, we got to get this done, we got to get this done, we got to get this done. Maybe a little bit of a, a a long-winded answer there, a little bit of kind of that Probably the biggest pivotal point was work, learning I needed to work on myself, and and gaining some emotional intelligence as as to really kind of convert into a leader of people.
0: Yeah, I think this is so powerful. A sentence or a phrase that my frequent listeners probably have heard me say before is, "Your career only grows to the extent that you grow." Very much in in line with what you shared uh, about Tim Ron's quote that you have to work harder on yourself than you do on your job. So let's talk a little bit about stoicism, because you mentioned that when you look back at these early years as you were growing as a supervisor, manager, leader, that emotional intelligence and empathy and the people skills, we could call those soft skills, became more and more important. And now today you're a thought leader in that topic and field of stoic leadership or stoicism and how it applies in the workplace. Right. How has Stoicism been helping you when you look back at specific examples or situations? How do you feel that Stoicism fits into that whole-
1: Yeah, yeah. Stoicism has—it's uh, been a huge blessing for me in in my life and my career. However, fate kind of pushes you in these different directions and puts things in front of you. Somehow, I stumbled on the book uh, "The Obstacle Is the Way" by Ryan Holiday, and that I'm going to say probably about seven years ago or so now. And it just really, it just struck me. I the concept of stoicism, and I went, went fully down the rabbit hole of of stoicism. And there, there's so much benefit from it. But can, to maybe to to crystallize it down to a, to answer your question of how it benefits me, it, my, the profession I'm in, IT. I, I'm, every profession is tough. There's a lot of challenges and stresses in IT. I mean, even our our vocabulary, servers crash. And we're being hacked and we're under attack and the the code has bugs in it it is a little bit of a battlefield and no matter what you do in it if you're an application developer you're trying to get this program you're writing to run and it keeps crashing or you are a network administrator and you're trying to have a database server that got hacked by somebody or the mail server's gone down there's a lot of these instances where you can get you can let your emotions Pull you. You can find yourself just kind of falling into the quagmire of your emotions based on the stimulus. So stimulus and response. So to give a boring IT example again, I I used this earlier. The mail server crashes, and my boss is at the door because he's expecting a, an important email to come through, and he's upset and angry. Why is the mail server down? So the stimulus happens. Pre-stoicism. I mean, my emotional response was like at you know stimulus response mail server goes down. I get frustrated and angry about it. When you're frustrated and angry, you're not a, an effective leader. You're not being objective. You're not calm, cool, collected, thinking through. And in the end, in technology, especially in like any other field, you need to be analytical and objective. And when emotion lays, you know, falls down on top of you, it, it, it clouds your objectivity. So again, pre-stoicism, stimulus, response, Really, what I like to say, stoicism has kind of created a space there. And I think as a leader, that's really critical to not just this happens, I respond, this happens, I respond, but this happens, I think I determine what's the most effective response to it, then I respond. So stoicism kind of helped to create that space of objectivity for me. So now, hopefully post-stoicism, mail server crashes, I now pause and I look at the situation and I apply a degree of objectivity and acceptance to what I can't control. I mean, the mail servers crashed. I can't uncrash the mail server. That's out of my control. It's happened. What's in my control is how am I going to respond to what's happened here? So for me, the main benefit of stoicism, really it's helped to to build that space of objectivity and acceptance. So something happens, I can now stop, I can pause, analyze the situation in an objective fashion, and then choose a better response, a more appropriate response, the response of a leader. Uh, A leader does not let themselves get frazzled when a, a situation happens. They respond to it objectively and they help enact the most effective next action that how we're going to respond to this.
0: As you're describing this, um, what comes to mind is I often see two benefits or sub-benefits in what you just described. One of them being the fact that you create space because you recognize through stoicism, we both have, and many people who follow practice stoicism have recognized this, this importance of pausing. But then the second thing, which I think is unique in that mindfulness aspect that stoicism actually creates or provides as a tool is the principles of what in that pause that mm-hmm. I'm thinking, what actually right. do I need to think about? Right. What is actually important right now. And for me personally, and I'm curious how that lends with you. For me personally, when I think of um, something where I notice, oh, okay, so I got I just got triggered, emotionally triggered. I have an urge to respond Mm -hmm. and I'm taming that urge. I'm not responding. And then there are a few things that it's almost like a step-by-step that goes through my head of, okay, this is just a thought. It's my interpretation. This is Mm -hmm. not the facts. Looking at it objectively, looking at what I can control and cannot control. And then a few other things that go through my mind, but that step-by-step thought process almost. Is something that I now insert in that pause that's created,
1: right? Right. No, I agree with the, everything you said there, and I. You mentioned the word, uh, you know, trigger, and that emotional. When you are overly emotional, it it really does become all about me. If the mail server crashes, I get angry. I'm like, oh man, I, I look bad here. What? What? How is this a reflection on me? I think when you get in that kind of state, you're You're turned inward versus when you're able to, and this isn't like, I'm not just going to read meditations by Marcus Aurelius and all of a sudden be the stoic person who never gets upset about anything. I mean, it's aspirational to a certain degree, but as you practice it, it becomes something that starts coming a little bit more naturally. When you have that objectivity, you starting to start turning outward. you're You're now looking at the situation objectively. Again, the stimulus happens. you build that space. That space allows you to objectively look at it. And now, when you're looking at what's the most appropriate response and solution, part of that is what it is is it's not about what's best for me, but what's the best response to this for everybody. So I may, in my case where my boss is at the door and and they're upset, Part of that is like, okay, how do I help them understand what the situation is? You know, back to maybe the emotional intelligence a little bit. I'm I'm aware that they're upset. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be empathetic, but I'm not gonna meet them in that space, but I'm going to understand and kind of be empathetic and help get them to a place where they're okay while I'm trying to find a solution that's gonna help everybody. And that might even be my network administrator, like, okay, how do I get them engaged in the situation the most effective manner? And again, keep kind of optimize as much as I can, everybody within that situation, which it's a little bit like conducting an orchestra. But again, that space and that objectivity helps, it slows the moment down a little. Another thing, when you get emotional, the moment's fast. I mean, everything moves so much quicker when you're emotional and you're not thinking and you're not processing. But to your point about that framework, again, I think as you are able to pause and accept and get some objectivity in the moment, things slow down and you can engage everybody involved a little bit more with them. With the mindset of how do I optimize everybody in this situation a little bit and help them in this situation. And I, I believe you touched on mindfulness. It, it dovetails very nicely with stoicism. And I think it almost kind of supercharges stoicism's effects and vice versa.
0: Yeah. You touched on empathy there. And something I'd love to dive into a little bit is that many people understand, I think at some level with stoicism, okay, it's about taming uh, or tempering the, the emotional response to be more cool, calm, collected, making better decisions as a result of that acting kinder to people, more respectful to people, because we're not emotionally charged uh, when we interact with them. And then there is that other aspect. I think the the people aspect, especially for compassionate people, for very caring leaders, for servant leaders who say like, okay, this is all nice and good, but sometimes we have to really tune in and say people first. It's not all just about logic and analytics and rational behavior. So when you think about leading your team and building those relationships, how has stoicism helped you in that aspect?
1: Yeah, I think you touched on it earlier, Ramona, but kind of, I think this, this misunderstanding or or this, this incorrect perception of stoicism as being like a very stiff upper, upper lip, very unemotional. I think that word stoic is kind of, I, I approach this stoically and stiff upper lip and unemotional. Well, really that's not what stoicism is about at all as you come to learn the philosophy of stoicism and actually stoics were cosmopolitan you know, i mean that kind of like a huge part of stoicism is how do i help my mankind my how do i help people so again, there's so many of these different concepts that as you start learning them, they intersect in so many interesting ways. Servant leadership, again, it's, you're taking the pyramid of in a very unservant leadership way. As the CIO, I'm at the top of the, the IT pyramid and everybody reports up to me, but that's not an effective way to lead. In servant leadership, we flip that pyramid upside down. And now my, my primary question as a leader is how do I serve? the people who are part of my team and again stoicism complements that very nicely in that we we've talked about kind of the objectivity the acceptance but unselfishness is a big part of stoicism as well like kind of you know in my mind that's what i always anchor back to in what in stoicism is objectivity acceptance and unselfishness and part of my role as a leader is to be unselfish and you know that that gets baked into what you do. And I have a one-on-one with an employee or a member of my team. I mean, part of that discussion is, what am I doing to help you? What are your goals? Where do you wanna get? What can we do together? How can I help you get where you wanna get? And, you know, it's not utopian. I mean, I can't guarantee that I'm going to help you get exactly where you want to get, but that's part of my job as your leader is, is, is your manager and a leader to make sure that we're talking about those things. And you feel that you're in a situation that we're here to take care of you as well, too. It's a two-way street. You're doing great work Mm -hmm. for the organization. We're doing what we can to help you. And just stoicism just interweaves with that very nicely.
0: Yeah, I love how you emphasized this unselfish approach, which, or or in other words, the servant leadership, um, where the ego is taken out of the equation because it's not about you. And Stoics embody that at the core, really. Yeah. Looking back over the last two years and the team members that experience you the most, what would they say and how would they describe your leadership approach?
1: Yeah, I would hope that they would say, as we've gone through this unprecedented time for any of us that are alive today, none of us have lived through a pandemic before. We were all kind of Thrown into this situation and, and we all kind of figured out together what we were going to do about it. My hope that the people that are a member of my team and a member of the organization you know, that I work for would say that I responded to that situation calmly, cool headed, collected with their best interest at heart. And and look, I, I don't want to, like, this all sounds like a very much padding of myself on the back, which isn't. I mean, this was uh, the, how we responded specifically. And i am not just go right to, to COVID. How we responded as an organization, the primary importance for the company I worked for was the safety of our patients and our employees. So there, I happen to, I'd be very blessed to work for a great company with great culture. But my job then is to help my team do how respond to this situation, how we had to, which was helping people get home, get with, we have hundreds of people inside of an office that now we need to get home with their equipment, be able to start working from home to be safe. We have to implement new technologies to to be able to allow us to interact with our patients remote. So my hope would be that people would say I responded to that. Maybe they wouldn't know the word stoically, but that, that I kept my cool and kept everyone's best interest at heart while we were kind of going through a very unique time in all of our lives.
0: Is there a particular story that you remember that something that happened over the last two years that you think, oh, this is one of those moments where I really connected with stoicism and and the stoic philosophy helped me make decisions or navigate that particular challenge?
1: Yeah. Again, after you practice it for a while, it, it does begin. So I, I mean, I'll, I'll give a particular moment that comes to mind of a, of a lot of moments that I think stoicism has benefited me over. I mean, the, the, you, you mentioned it earlier, Ramona, the whole, what can I control? What I can't control. I mean, there is a huge degree of what's been going on the last year. I can't control. I mean, I, I can't control a global pandemic. I can't control lockdowns and, and I can't control all of this. All, all I can do is control my response to it. So there was a moment very early on when this first started hitting and it just was slowly building and it worked. on the executive team on member of, where like, hey, we should start. Should we start thinking about doing something about this? Like, I mean, it kind of was like, first it was that, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, this is going down. The governor is giving kind of regulations on people being able to, you know, not be able to report to work. So we had a meeting where the decision was, right, we we need to send our employees home. We we need, people need to work remotely. And I remember kind of coming out of that meeting and, and going into my office and it was a stoic moment. I needed to pause and kind of have that inward conversation with myself of like, okay, like we're in a moment right now where I need to kind of invoke that objectivity. I first acceptance. I mean, it always starts with acceptance. I mean, this is going to be a challenging situation, but it, it is what it is. And for me to fight that is not going to do anybody any good. So it's, let's accept it. And then let's look objectively at this situation. What's the framework of how I think this might go down? And then a little bit, maybe invoking a little bit of that emotional intelligence, but bringing my team and like, I don't want to act unilaterally and say, okay, go back, you know, it's back to those mistakes you make early on in your career, your leadership, where you still think you need to make the decisions and you're kind of just moving everybody around, but you learn a little bit, like I have smart people that are part of my team. Let's get them in. Let's calmly explain the situation to them. And let's talk together about, okay, how are we going to deploy this plan? A lot of people home with their IT equipment. So again, Ramon, I just think what jumps to mind is, is that moment where like, okay, we're sending everybody home. This is going to be a big undertaking. How can I make sure that I respond to this with all of the best that stoicism has taught me?
0: Yeah. I mean, I can only imagine being in IT and having to accept that fact and then deal with the ramifications uh, of that decision or that situation overall. The, The thing that stood out to me as you were describing this moment is that your behavior and your approach in that very moment, if you go back to that specific day, had a ripple effect probably in in your entire department. Mm -hmm. If you look at someone who is not self-aware, who has a low level of emotional intelligence and was spinning out in their own mind about, oh my gosh, what this means and what's going on and who to blame and is this wrong? Is this right? And sort of fighting the decision and then getting overwhelmed with all the things that are, or all the people and all the questions that are now coming their way. And then the the ripple effects that this would have had on the entire organization versus having a leader in this position who has done that work to develop the practice and the mindfulness to build that pause in between stimuli and response to go through a deliberate thought process of what to do next. And then how that approach creates a completely different environment, work culture, we talk about psychological safety. Right. Talk about um, empowerment of people, trust in relationships and s- so many aspects that are being influenced in those moments. And oftentimes I think all these things like safety and trust to, to stick with these two. They build over time and they can erode within a second, right? So when it comes down to a situation like this and any leader, like those moments are inevitable. Maybe we're not going to experience another pandemic in our lifetime, but challenging moments like this are inevitable as, and especially as a leader, the the bigger the responsibility, the more challenging the problems. And so to prepare for those moments, like doing the daily work, to be able to then respond that way. When right? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, two things I, to kind of unpack from what you said there, Ramona. I mean, one, yes, as leaders, we set the tone. Again, what I can control and what I can't control, what, you know, accepting. So the decision was made, we we're going to send everybody home. There are a lot of branches that could come off of that tree. Like, okay, the decision's made. I, now that's out of my control, but what's in my control is how I'm going to choose to respond to that situation. As the leader, I set the tone for the team. There are two different ways that I could have—I could have called the, the called them my senior members, of my team, got in the room and said, "Okay, holy crap, this is a horrible situation going down. Like, okay, we got to do this. I don't know how the heck we're going to get this done. We got to try and figure this out. I don't know what we're going to. do. Let's try this or this or this." Or I could have chosen to, all right, let's accept let's look at this objectively, let's remain calm and accepting, and let's bring the best people we have in to help us figure out what's the best way to respond to this situation. Again, the choice is ours as leaders a little bit, but also what you mentioned is I think the good news is if you would have called the Mike McGillan when I was first made a supervisor back into the day in that situation, and I probably would have been the first person panicking. I mean, I'm not like, you know, none of us are born I I won't say, I'm sure there are some very, some people just unique personality sets that are just maybe born calm or born with some natural stuff, natural leadership skills like that. I wasn't one of them. You would have called the early in my career, Mike McGill into that situation. I probably would have like freaked out over it. But the good news is that all of these things that the only reason I am the Mike McGill that was able to respond stoically is because I, I learned about stoicism and I practiced stoicism and all these things we talk about, emotional intelligence, Stoicism, servant leadership, communication—they're all skills. It's like any skill you can learn, and you can get better with practice. I may not be get into the 99th percentile of Stoics on the face of the earth, but if I'm up in the upper 10%, I'm, I'm in a lot better position, and I can get there by by reading and practicing and learning and intentionally bringing these practices into how I behave and and what I do as a leader
0: yeah so on that note um, and maybe to wrap up the conversation with something actionable for people who are listening and they get inspired by your story and by your experience with this and want to learn more about stoicism or get into a certain practice right what's something that you'd suggest for them to do or to start thinking about some more to start building those muscles a little bit yeah
1: yeah that's a great question yeah you and know, i, I I use, and and I wrote something about this, that's why it comes to my mind kind of quickly, is the SPR method for practicing Stoicism, which is study, practice, reflect. So for me, a basic framework of a Stoic practice would be that you would read some Stoicism every day. I mean, there's books like the Daily Stoic or you can get a book about Stoicism, like a guide to the good life by William Irvine, or you can read the works of the Stoics or read meditations by Marcus Aurelius, but every day to have some sort of a study, which to me is typically through reading some sort of passage or something about Stoicism. And then practice is life, like my, my day, mm-hmm. you know, what, how do I intentionally take what I've read and what I've learned into my life and then reflect is for me an evening journaling practice. And, and part of my journaling is a look back on, on on my day and it's somewhat of a Stoic report card. What What did I do well today? What didn't I do well today? And how could I do that better tomorrow? Which maybe sounds like a lot, but you can read a passage of the daily, a book like the Daily Stoic in two minutes in the morning to set the framework. Again, you have your day that we're all going through anyhow, and and how do I bring some of this what I've learned about stoicism into the day? And you know, a nightly journaling practice can be five minutes. Just sit down, and I like to list out three things I'm grateful for to just bring a little kind of gratitude into my mind before I go to sleep at night, and then just a little bit of a look back on my day, and where did I step up to the plate? Where did I fall a little bit short, and how can I do that better?
0: So powerful. And just to add a little thing, I think the the fact why I think this is so powerful. It's because it is a continuous routine, like something you repetitively do over and over. It's not a one-off event, not a one-time seminar or a one-off book that you read and then put back in a bookshelf or toss out or give back (laughs) to the library. It is this daily practice that then builds the muscles, just like you would go to the gym, lift your dumbbells. Thank you so much. This was such an insightful and valuable conversation, Mike. Thank you. I appreciate your time to be on the podcast. And I will link uh, to your Twitter uh, account in the show notes because you're doing a Stoic thought of the day on Twitter. And then you also post great content on LinkedIn. I'll also include some of the books that you mentioned here towards the end for people who want to learn more and get started with reading about Stoicism.
1: Perfect, Ramona. Thanks again for having me on. It was great talking with you.
0: Thank you. So that was my interview with Mike McGill, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I think it's really valuable and insightful to hear reflections and lessons learned from experienced and successful leaders who can look back at the last 10, 15, 20 years or even more and say, here is what I noticed in this journey. One thing that Mike said in our conversation is the fact that mistakes are inevitable and that there is a transition period that you will go through when you shift from being an IC into a management role. And then as you grow, you start to notice how your approach and your perspective shifts. And that's when leadership starts to form. And I loved how he pointed that out. It is one of my big missions and goals to talk about, to communicate, and to build awareness for leaders in organizations and in HR who are supporting new managers and want them to be set up for success, but also for new managers themselves who are leading for the first time to recognize the importance of this transition and the fact that 60% of new managers fail within their first 18 to 24 months according to CEB and other studies. And so that speaks directly to my heart because we don't have to struggle this much because despite it being a hard journey and despite mistakes being inevitable or learning opportunities that are going to come your way, it does not have to be so hard when you have the proper support and training in place. The self-doubt and the worries and concerns that you might experience and have running in your head also don't need to be there to a certain point these kind of thoughts and concerns are actually helpful they will allow you to invest more and learn more and soak up information and insights and look for mentors and look for coaches but then those worries and concerns reach a point where they stop being useful and in fact they will limit your ability to show up on the outside as the leader who acts and thinks and communicates like the leader you know you are on the inside. And that's the work I do and I feel blessed to be incredibly passionate about. With that said, I also hope that uh, if you're new to stoicism and you've never really heard stoicism and leadership in the same sentence and how that might benefit you in the workplace, I will drop the links to the book's reference in the show notes. And... And as I mentioned in the introduction, I'm working on a book project that's all about Stoic leadership and that will be released in late 2022. So make sure we stay connected either through my weekly newsletter, this podcast, or Instagram or LinkedIn. You'll find all the links down below. Thanks so much and I'll talk to you next week. If you love this show, then you love even more my free training for new managers. If you haven't watched this training yet, then I'll strongly encourage you to sign up at ramonashaw.com forward slash masterclass. You'll discover the key shifts you'll need to make as a new manager and the number one most common mistake to avoid. Plus, you'll walk away with actionable tips that you can apply in your role right away. Go to ramonashaw.com forward slash masterclass to sign up.